let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 442 being recorded on March 22nd, 2017. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. And I'm Alan Malentano. Where's uh, Josh? Uh, Josh apparently has a man cold, which uh, is now the new internet thing for uh, a cold or a flu, but you complain a lot more because you're a guy about it. And apparently I think this, that's a thing. It's, yeah. it's a really a bullshit thing because it only happens to Alan that I know of. Who <laughs> like, oh, my sinuses hurt, so sure. I can't come into work. And I'm like, take an ibuprofen and let's, let's do this. Right. Apparently, Josh wanted to use that excuse as well. You and Alex be, are here too. They usually but. have to be like throwing up. Oh, I don't know. About that. There's been a lot. There's been a lot of messages <laughs> in the Slack. It's like, no, oh, I just can't. I just got out of bed. and I can't really breathe too good. So I'll just be at home. Just be back <laughs> in bed. I've got car pro- stuffy noses to deal with. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so uh, we're, we're missing a Josh, but that's fine. We'll just talk about things anyway. Uh, make, more, make more fun of him behind his back. And stuff you think he's watching? He is. Ah, oh, damn Apparently. it. If you're too no, sick to be on, you're too sick to watch. No, you know. Yeah. I never understood that when I was a kid, right? Like, you'd be too sick to stay home or you'd stay, stay home from school, but you had Not no problem like TV. playing video games. No, oh. but like you would, right? Well, yeah. And as a parent, I look at that. That's that's bullcrap. I wasn't right? allowed to like play video games if I was homesick. But no, Josh is bundled up there in a bathrobe. He's got a hot water bottle on top of his head. Did his I have the hot water sink, yeah, and so he's watching ago. us on TV. Yeah, yeah I you can just picture it. I had, I had an Atari twenty six hundred. Also, when I I guess when I was a little bit older, right? So I'm talking like when my mom wouldn't stay home when I stayed home yeah, from school type of thing. Solo. Obviously, she wasn't going to do anything if I was playing video games then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So you were home uh, opening your uh, Christmas now, present. But now early. if like my kid stays home from school when she's sick, I'm going to have cameras in the house to make sure she's not playing video games. Ah, you're a dick. <laughs> you better be in bed. I'll tell you what. I'll let you read a book. And then the cameras are going to start it. talking to the kid because he can like, start piping in with his voice. Know. Like, it, well enough to read a book, she can go to school. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. Oh, no. I was allowed to read a book. Spread but, this disease you to your do friends. That in bed. If it was like, anything other than that, and kid, you're going to school because you're obviously not that sick. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you yeah. can watch TV in bed and whatever. That was fine. That's no, very, we that's, didn't have TVs in bedrooms. Oh, really? Oh. It's it's a very Again, passive on purpose. thing. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I I didn't have a TV in my. No, I take that back. I had a TV in my bedroom when I was in high school. I think. Yeah. It, it, we don't need to sidetrack anymore. I had I bought a <laughs> I bought a 65 inch big screen TV. Um, that, like when they had like the big consoles, like DLP. Uh, I don't think it was before DLP. It was just a projection <laughs> TV, wow. CRT oh, rear yep. projection. Uh, weigh a ton. Yeah, yeah. and I, and I, oh, I was yeah. working at Best Buy, and it was when you got great discounts on everything. Right, you paid five yeah. percent over cost on stuff. Yeah. So I remember being like a senior in high school, and then I think what, what year did Halo come out on the Xbox? Was it that, something? Was it? I thought it was maybe. No, no, whatever it was, but like, whether there would be four guys sitting on my bed playing on this 65 inch projection TV that was literally three feet from us, which was great <laughs> because every quadrant looked like a normal sized TV yeah. for the, multi- the on screen multiplayer. So, oh yeah, yeah. 
with all the lights off and the shades drawn and uh, lots of Mountain Dew was probably being drank at the time. So anyway, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, everybody. We do record the show live, uh, live streaming at pcpro.com slash live uh, on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m., 7 p.m. I'm sorry, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, and you can, uh, if you need a little reminder, if you want a little uh, uh, note sent to your email inbox every Wednesday to let you know that we are going to do this stream, you can go to pcpercom slash subscribe and you get this page here. And all it does is it asks for your email address and uh, your uh, name and email address. That's all it asks for. Uh, and we'll send you a little notification when it's uh, time to go. It looks like our screen isn't updating over here or something like I'm scrolling and it's not scrolling on our on our stream. See, like I'm like That's if I'm I'm, str- I'm streaming. The, did your connection uh, get loose? Uh, let me see. And uh, obviously, we have our Patreon campaign going here. Uh, if you go to Patreon.com/slash PC Per, you get this page here. It is your ability to directly contribute to the website itself. Uh, if you think anything we do is worth a damn, whether that be uh, Alan Storage testing this podcast, uh, VR benchmarking, um, uh, looking at Windows 10 schedulers, whatever you, whatever tickles your fancy, we can do that. Uh, and anybody who becomes a patron and or increases their Patreon uh, contribution during the show will get a shout out during the live stream as long as I can read it on my. Uh, email here and i already have one i've had a man cold for three days just edited their pledge to 499 <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough that's a tough break if you've had a man cold for that long because it's really severe mm-hmm. to have yeah. it yeah all right at least we're here to uh, assuage your illness <laughs> give you something to think about uh we're gonna jump through some uh the stuff we have today is pretty straightforward uh first up sebastian wrote a review of the topre which I believe this is this is the correct pronunciation, right, Ken? We figured it out after years of me having one of these keyboards on my desks. Topre Real Force RGB 108 key mechanical keyboard. Um, this is pretty looking, of course, because Sebastian took all the pictures of it. Um, it, it is the electromechanical. That was it was an electrical mm, capacitive key switch, not electromechanical. Yes capacitive yes. key switch um, that I actually uh, that Topre keyboard that is sitting on the floor over there near your desk that's one that used to be on my desk that was the uh, there was a different what was the name of that one something keys something? no it's just, it's capacitive key switches no but I thought there was some kind of it was top, the Topre something oh maybe I don't remember that yeah they have some sort of a name I can't remember what it is it is a patented hybrid between a mechanical spring and a rubber dome switch and a capacitive sensor which combined provide tactility is apparently a word here comfort and excellent durability i did like it it had it did have a very tactile feel but was not overly loud and obnoxious mm-hmm. right um so the topra is an interesting company in terms of just how they promote and market their companies i think you remember c sonic was like the distributor in the u.s for these keyboards mm-hmm. um Topre is a Japanese company. Um, the Real Force brand is like a sub-brand under Topre that I don't think is only sold through Seasonic anymore, but now you can kind of buy it direct. Um, but it also adds some complications in that the uh, like the software that you want for this isn't readily available on any easy-to-access website. Oh, 
right? And so well, like that's, that's a negative. Sebastian had to go to the Japanese website, and you could download a U.S. version. It's all in English, and it all works. But like the U.S. website didn't have it. Right, so it was, it was kind of an odd, you know, setup there. But in terms of the keyboard itself, he definitely did like it. Um, it's they have a unique, I consider it very high quality build to it. You can see kind of the uh, the the key structure, like the arc, yeah, of the keys as well. I I really liked mine, and I don't think there's a whole lot of differences in the mechanical build quality here. Um, but uh, but it, it seems pretty positive. The only change is the addition of some RGB goodness. Uh, if you're into that. Here you can see the software at work, um, and it looks pretty straightforward. It's not required, um, but if you want to like do all of your customizations, you can do that. Um, you can do by various, key. yeah, per key, and you can also adjust between some presets by just using the function, you know, function plus insert, delete, home, end, page up, all that type of stuff, and then you can use the software uh, to do the individual key colors, as you can see there. Um, and then, uh, he went through, like comes with, uh, you know, you can get a key spacer, you can get, uh, <laughs> all kinds of I, like, <laughs> whatever odd accessories like this, this tool over here looks a little bit like, key puller. yeah, yeah, yeah. not quite a spudger, but it's close. Right. Right. Um, so I'm trying to look at what this – what's the – in the on position of each key switch can be adjusted by selecting from three stroke depths of 1.5, 2.2, and 3 millimeters. So it's adjustable. How do you adjust it? Uh, through these uh, – the actuation point change, which as the name indicates, allows for adjustment of the depth at which a key press actuates a key. And the uh, more you excite the actuation point, the deeper it gets. <laughs> the interesting thing is that this is handled in software. If you want per key control. Oh, because it's capacitive. Yeah. Uh, yep. 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 And it comes yeah. with foam spacers as well. So um, so not only can the whole keyboard be adjusted for its actuation point, 1.5, 2.2, and 3.0 millimeters, but individual keys can be adjusted it's only, to any of those three levels using the software. It's only like one step away from your WASD keys being like Xbox controller key buttons. Like analog you could probably we have we have a keyboard in this office that you mess around with that is like it's a aim aim pad right yep that has analog key presses i messed around with that one you did yeah really yeah okay yeah uh okay so in the end it's um it's not a cheap 270 bucks holy crap wow okay (laughs) not only i wanted you to talk it up all this way Saying about how quality it was before I brought up the fact it's two hundred and seventy. Wait, how much bucks. was that other one you were using? Uh, the non-RGB one was probably two hundred bucks, one hundred eighty really? bucks. Yeah, That's I mean so it's much. it's it's one of those. It's a it's probably a low production part, you know, made by a specialized company in Japan doing yeah. something you know very unique and different. Um, yeah, as Sebastian writes, the Topre Realforce RGB is a keyboard with the sole weakness of being very expensive. Uh, but if you can afford it, it's absolutely worth it. So he clearly uh, was a big fan of what that's, this keyboard that's did. Really, that's a lot of so money. Check out that review if you want a little bit more info on it. If you're a keyboard geek, like I know there are a lot of you guys, a lot of you guys out there. Uh, the next story we're going to talk about um, that Josh wrote up because he's lazy and he's not here. I'll talk about forum. Is ARM Dynamic? 
I or, guess that's how you say that. Uh, I was it's on a not call. dynamic. No, I was on a call with them. Okay. It's a dynamic. I, that's what I was thinking. I was curious. D y n a m i q. And the simple part to this is we don't need to go through some of the some of the build up here. The idea is that ARM has built a fabric that will allow you to attach any number of cores to each other regardless of the number of cores you integrate, what kind of cores they are, size, speed, uh, that type of thing. Right? So if you look at it now, um, you know, the, the initial ARM Big infrastructure little... was, was like a single core. And then you went into multi-core where they were identical cores. Yeah. And then you had this issue with, well, okay, we, we want you – know, you want some big based, cores based and some on design cores, and right? and process tech, we can build these high performance cores that draw more power yeah. than we want, but they're necessary to get the high performance we want. I mean, we can design these low power cores yeah. that are better and SIP power and they're more efficient, but we can't get everything we want out of them. So they did the big little thing where you could do two and two, or four yeah. and four, or two and four, but it was very um, specific cores that could be paired together. Uh, it was a very uh, you know, not it was a not flexible architecture okay. in terms of how you implemented it. Yeah. And now with Dynamic, they call it multi-core redefined. So you can have a single cluster design with greater flexibility uh, with or without Big Little in there, a redesigned memory subsystem and advanced compute capabilities. The idea is um, you have this memory system and fabric that allows cores to communicate um, directly and the infrastructure behind the system, the ISA, uh, uh, memory access being the key here, is built to facilitate those cores being able to work together in a, in a single system. Um, so it's it's a really interesting thing, uh, and you know they talk about what the potential benefits here are of uh, dedicated processor instructions for AI. You know. Uh, self-driving cars and the ability to it, it, it on, on its outset it's kind of like yeah those are all things that your products already can do or promote or talk about but the yeah. the goal is that with more flexibility of their core design you can build parts that are more specifically tuned to those uh, systems and the improved access to acceleration is also important there they're building in um this fabric will support external accelerators. So if you're if you're a, an independent company, you want to build an accelerator for a system, but you want to use various numbers of ARMs and different types of ARM processors with it, you can design the accelerator independently. It communicates through the same fabric and memory system, uh, and they're claiming up to 10 times quicker response to accelerators through this new uh, fabric implementation, hmm. uh, which, which is interesting, uh. right? Go ahead, Jeremy. It just seems really interesting, uh, especially the little graph where they're talking about the extraordinary extraordinary growth that they've been having. Uh, uh, yes. Because, I mean, already ARM has the most processors on this planet by several orders of magnitude. Not just like two or three times, but like 100, 200 times any yep. other competitor. Yep. All of a sudden... They're jumping into these markets like I was doing the server stuff recently. We've been hearing about Windows 10 running natively. Now they're being able to attach accelerators to it for, well, maybe not HPC, but certainly brute force uh, large installations. They're opening up all of these other markets. And they're probably going to do it at prices where places that would never consider a forklift upgrade in a decade are like, wait, it's that cheap? And it can do that much? Yeah. I, it was funny. It, I was I was driving home um, from a storage place with my stepmother 
And, you know, I had a phone call with somebody from ARM on the way back. And she said, oh, who was that? I was like, oh, you know, so-and-so from, from ARM. She's like, oh, what did they do? I was like, well, <laughs> they basically wrote the intellectual property for Everything. every processor that you probably use on a daily basis, right? If your phone, your tablet, your TV, you know, ARM processors are in all of that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's it's easy to get lost in the shuffle that they – they're a fairly small company mm-hmm. for as important as their development as their has ideas, been yeah. And, and, yeah, and their technology yeah. has been. So. Well, and they're also happy to license to anybody and everybody, and they, which they helps do grow quite a well. bit. Yes. Yeah. Um, so another key point about this ARM dynamic release is that it, it is not – you do not take currently existing Cortex processors and put them into this system. This is for a new core architecture has to be built to develop, like to uh, uh, run in this form. Yeah. Right. So you can't, excuse me, you can't take a Cortex A72 and slap it into a system like this and it'll work. Now, so what this is, you know, this is basically telling us that there will be new cores announced later in 2017 that will implement ARM dynamic technology and capability. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what they did say is any cores, you know, say they come out with an A75 or whatever it's going to be called that supports dynamic, those will be backwards compatible. So you can use them in a non-ARM dynamic system if you want to just use standard big little or single cores or whatever you want to do. Makes sense. Um, but it's, it, would, it would appear at this point that ARM is going to be tailoring their cores for that technology um, which will be interesting, right? Because I think if you look at something like uh, what did what did Nvidia call theirs, where they did like four plus one, essentially, yeah, where they did four big cores and one little core, and the little core is supposed to do like the idle tasks when the screen was off, and you know, obviously that chip didn't end up being very successful in the mobile market, but um, that was their implementation. It was a good idea, but it was it was you know async uh, not. It was asymmetrical, so I imagine things were a little bit more complicated in, in how they had to architect that that CPU. Um, so ARM has the knowledge to adjust these things, and you can see, you know, they're looking at power savings across all this and the ability to, you know, a lot of that memory architecture is going to be how do we transfer threads from a high process, a high performance core to a mm-hmm. low performance core that maybe has. You know, different cache capabilities, different register capabilities. But, you know, in order to save power, all that has to be, you know, coherent. Maybe it goes into separate side caches. I don't know how it's going to work. Um, but it seems like we'll learn more uh, later in this year as well. So Josh did a really good write-up on this. If you're kind of curious about what uh, the technology may bring to mobile devices, um, we say may because as most of the time when we talk with ARM, we're talking about technologies that will be around and it in a while from now. Like yeah. we're talking the first products that will ship with this is probably mid to late 2018 mm-hmm. would be my guess. Um, and we'll know more, I guess, again. I'd imagine you, you need kernel support as well. Yes. There's a new ISA. It's ARM uh, V8.2. Yeah. Right? So, yes, the operating system is going to have to understand this and, yeah. and, and there's going to be You're doing a, contact a different switching stuff. across yeah. different cores. And, yeah. Yep. Unless they figure out some magical way to manage all that inherently, but I, I doubt it. That's it, really hard. It would, be, <laughs> it would be overly complex and probably not nearly as efficient as it could be, yeah. uh, you know, if the other way around. So, uh, up next, we have a look at the Lenovo Yoga Book, plural. Um, where Ken did this review, 
We looked at a, an Android and a Windows variant of the Lenovo Yoga Book. If you don't know, if you don't know what the Yoga Book is, this is what it is. It's one of these two in ones. It's a yoga style, uh, but it's unique in that it's super thin, like super thin and light. Uh, what's the screen size on this? Is this a ten inch, ten point one inch screen, um, and it has no keyboard. Hence the ability to be thin. Yeah, right. It has a keyboard, but it doesn't have a keyboard. Um, There's no keystrokes. There, yeah. What would There's what did no you what do you call depth. this, Ken? What what's the? It's a a halo keyboard, which means nothing. So what is it really? It's a it's a touchpad keyboard on this guy. Yeah. But it's it, a keyboard on a Wacom tablet. Kind of. <laughs> but. Yeah, but and it's not like an LCD screen, right? Like those the the keys that you see outlined in that photo. It's just like an LED. It is because I know they can go away. No, so they can go away. Like, but but you can't put anything on that screen, right? Like it's you get one function out of it. Okay, um, so it it's it's interesting. I don't know. It's a really odd product. Because you have this this thing that looks, you know, if you just look at a picture, it kind of looks like a keyboard and a, and a touchpad, but it's it's capacitive. It is very much like typing on an iPad. There is haptic feedback to it mm-hmm. um, that it vibrates as you know in in the the correct ways as you type. But it is you are touching on a you are typing on a touchscreen essentially. Um, but there's also a reason why it's roughly eight and a half by eleven inches. Yes, what were you gonna say about something else about the keyboard? Can But they don't really make that one anymore, do they? So the, that was with the first Surface, right? Where it it's capacitive, ish. It works better than you think, but still not like I wouldn't want to compose, uh, you know, novels. Yeah. On the thing, the the biggest issue isn't necessarily the keyboard. You can get used to that. It's yeah. The trackpad. It's imagine. Look at that trackpad right yep. now. Uh, Sees it. As Alex so this say. this look, is look at that trackpad and then try to imagine like holding down the mouse button and click and dragging and something it just doesn't work very well. Yeah, uh, the, the yeah. thing on the left is the left button and this yeah. is the right mouse button. And it works button, fine right? if you're just like tapping around doing single clicks on stuff, but as soon as you want to like drag an icon over, it becomes yeah. an absolute nightmare. Interesting. So uh, the other function of this touch area, as you say, on the Yoga Book, adds more notebook like functionality. Um, oh wait, no, that was we're talking about the keyboard. But you can also do this on the thing. Yeah, it comes with a stylus. What the hell is that person doing? They're taking notes. But that's an actual piece of paper mm-hmm. on. So where the keyboard is, you can use a stylus. Yes, with the, or without. Yeah, the, there are paper. two. There are two options. There's sort of the normal stylus tip that slots into the pen they include, or you can take that out and put in a real sort of pen tip cartridge system and then draw which is why they call it real pen yeah you can draw on a piece of paper like that person's doing on top of the touch sensitive portion Mm -hmm. and it still works so that way you can still pass notes back in class what size paper is that uh it's an odd size but they give you a pad of paper that's cut to that size so it's not bad so it's not exactly eight and a half by eleven no it's not it's okay it's probably like a whatever right like if it's i don't know if it was if it was a standard, it's probably one of the A standards. Yeah. Right. Like, it's it's a bit slimmer than an 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. A four piece paper. Yeah, and, and, and the note, the notepad they give you is magnetic, right? Yeah. So it like snaps into place. Okay. Over yeah. it. Yeah. yeah okay. I don't. I imagine they sell those separately. So but. what is what is the use case of this? Where you are drawing on a paper and it's also showing up digitally on the on the screen side. Uh, so, so you can have an offline backup. Well. That too. I if, mean, if you're a student you, taking notes, it would be helpful to have the paper version as well, right? Could you flip it around but, all the way, like yoga the thing, so that way you're just writing on what looks like I mean, just a little tablet? Without Probably. seeing the screen? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think so. Probably. I think so. So the issue with writing on the tablet, if you're not sketching or something, is mm-hmm. that you can't, like, you're not drawing on top of the screen, so you don't see what you're writing. Your yeah. hand is disconnected, like using mm-hmm. a basic Wacom tablet that doesn't have a screen behind it. Sure. Yeah. So I think that idea throws off a lot of people, and the paper is sort of a way to help that. Okay. Because you see actual strokes. Right. It's, 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 an, it's an interesting – like I am not an artistic person, so like there are artistic benefits to that type of implementation that I just can't comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. Like initially um, – the idea of taking notes that way, I like I like the idea of having a digital copy of of notes that I'm taking, but I don't like the idea of kind of having to carry physical paper with me. I mean, you don't have as to. I'm going. You don't have to, right? You can just draw on the screen with with the with the non ink part of the of the of the pen, right? Yeah. And, yeah. But then you get into the issue of you're writing on a space that you don't actually see what you're writing, and yeah. so it's a little bit, you know, harder to do mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, the physical design of the device by itself is actually really – it's really strikingly it, – it's striking how slim it is. Um, it's less than four-tenths of an inch thick. Yeah. I mean it, it's hard to even tell in this shot, but that's like – that's a headphone jack. Mm-hmm. And the headphone jack actually kind of like breaks the – oops uh, – the line <laughs> of the bottom of the uh, – uh, Good thing Apple didn't make it. Like it goes, it goes below yeah. it. Right, yeah. and it kind of like breaks the uh, the thing. Um, it's it's available on Android and Windows. You know, you don't want it in Android. I don't think you want it in Android. Yeah, I, I think the, if, the Windows performance is all right enough to where you should just get the Windows version. So you can. What's run the hardware in this guy? This is a. It's, it's an a, Atom X5. Okay. Okay. The yeah, Atom X5 Z8550. It's, I mean, performance is not going to blow you away, but you can no. run. I didn't necessarily run into any Windows apps I couldn't run. Right. Stuff wasn't the fastest, but... Yeah. I mean, for me, yeah, this is a Windows plus OneNote yeah. type device. With... It's got a huge amount of battery life. Yeah, like 10 hours of battery. Yeah. Uh, with our screen at 180 nits, it got 9 hours and 3 minutes um, yeah. with a 32-watt-hour battery. While web browsing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, plenty of battery. I think I took this device with me on a trip as a media consumption device, right? Like put a bunch of movies on it. You know, I think I was going, I think I was going on an international trip. I was like, okay, this will be good. What kind of screen is it? Is it TN? IPS? It's IPS, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's not super cheap. Yeah. The windows version is four ninety nine. Yeah. Android they, version is only 30 they, bucks less. They both hover about 500 bucks. I think they're both 500 bucks directly from Lenovo. <laughs> this thing would be an awesome device to charge up, Throw in your bag. If you're going around a meeting, to go around a class, you want to take notes, you pull it out, you take notes, do whatever, if it wasn't $500. Yeah. It's just yeah. too I mean, much. If you look ass. at the Amazon page, they show, you know, like, here is somebody being an artist. On yeah. It. To me, that is 
Scott would be better suited to talk to this because he uses a Wacom tablet yeah. otherwise, right. and it's very common for people to yeah. draw on a Wacom tablet mm-hmm. without being able to see. Yeah, look at the screen. Yeah, well, yeah. They're looking at the screen while they're drawing. Like to me, that's that's hard to imagine. How's the how's the latency like between those two? The, 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 the stylus is fine. It's got a bunch of pressure. The latent like there's no latency. I had my girlfriend who like it's updating on the screen like as you're moving. Like yeah, basically. like it, it's, okay. it's 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 completely fine. I think it's actually a really high end. Wacom digitizer, digitizer system. I don't yeah. know if it's Wacom specific. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 the, the stylus it's, is perfect. It, it's thin and light enough that like they're showing you here, like reading a magazine or a yeah, book on it, and you can absolutely do that yeah. on it. Uh, this shot shows you just how damn thin it is and it lay, when it lays flat, uh, and it's it's impressive. And then you get all the yo- normal yoga, you know, type use use cases. Four gigs of RAM, sixty four gig SSD, um, ten point one inch. So that's that's the yoga book. Uh, check out the review if you if you find that kind of compelling or interesting. I hope they don't give up on the concept, but I wouldn't buy this one. Yeah, that's fair, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I think, I think with ARM on Windows, this could be a very interesting I, device. F- to me, this would be a great device if it had some semblance of a better keyboard, right? But you can't get a real keyboard and then use the the yeah. bottom portion for the yeah. purposes of the Wacom tablet, yeah. nope. right? I mean, with the stuff we see with sort of modern notebook keyboards and going really thin with, mm-hmm. like, the MacBook stuff, and I forget who else has those sort of key switches that are super, super low profile and don't have a lot of travel. Yeah. Some, like, actually putting a physical keyboard in something maybe a little thicker than this would be cool. If you if they if they had some kind of, like, Bluetooth wireless keyboard, mm-hmm. then you're talking about something else you got to bring with you where you flipped it over into, like... The other mode where the Wacom tablet was face down and you just had the keyboard in front of you while you were doing it, that might work. But that's another accessory you have to have. And as long as you can put it all together in a package that's like folds up easy, yeah, that that might work. But yeah, check out that review. I, I would agree with it. Like I, I had pretty high expectations for it, um, but it didn't quite live up to – it's what I wanted it to be, but I do li- I do like the idea as well. Uh, a quick update on our our on our Patreon editions here. Uh, Cardboard Ryan edited their pledge to five dollars up from three dollars. Thank you, Cardboard Ryan. Nice Thank you, Cardboard, cardboard Ryan over there. Uh, Zach Attack edited their pledge to five ninety nine. Thank you, Zach. And Cash Me on the Street. How about that? <laughs> is a new patron at three dollars. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll cash you. So thank you, thank you very much for that. All right. Um, uh, here's another thing that happened this week. We posted our story of the Qualcomm Snapdragon 835. This is a uh, new SOC slash mobile platform from Qualcomm coming out. 10 um, nanometer. Yeah, coming out, uh, well, now, I guess. They've, they've announced the Sony announced the phone on it. It's widely expected that the Samsung Galaxy S8 will be using this SOC. I touched an That's right. Yeah, 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 you were using uh, when you were in New Orleans testing out the Gigabit LTE stuff that was on there. So um, we, we've gone over the Snapdragon 835 uh, many times here. I will quickly recap that like the, the Cryo CPU, the Cryo 280, is the first part using the semi-custom licensing from ARM, which means you take uh, a Cortex-A70 whatever, you can modify it, uh, and then produce that. Right, okay. as opposed to either taking it off the shelf and taking an A72 off the shelf or building your own custom one based on the ARM ISA. Right. Um, you can take one, modify it, and then ARM validates it and lets you use that instead. So, so meaning that they are, like the die is different? Well, 
ARM doesn't make it to die, right? ARM just licenses just license the, IP, the IP, right? So what Qualcomm's engineers do is they take the IP, they build the processor, they make changes to the structure. Yeah, so it could be memory system, it could be power management, okay. it could be whatever. Um, I wasn't aware that they weren't the, allowed the, to the, do that before. Um, but You either had to do it all from scratch or take their part. Right, and now the semi custom is, the, and I think the one thing that maybe you know guys like Qualcomm aren't excited that they have to do is they have to give that their design back to ARM. It's like open source. Yeah, but ARM doesn't have the rights to sell it to anybody else. Right, they just have to like approve. I don't know what they're approving of. Like, yes, you're allowed to produce this part now. Yeah, or what it is. Um, but ARM kind of gets access to the changes that you've made. That they may integrate they have to qualify into, it. Yeah, yeah, put it in future parts or whatever too. Um, so that that's what the Cryo 280 is. It is semi-custom. It's a four plus four design, four small, four big. But they're not telling us what parts they're based on. They're not telling us like, oh, it's a seventy-two modified, a seventy-three modified, whatever it is. They're being very quiet about it. Um, so there's there's some changes there, and then the GPU is, are the big changes as well. The Adreno 540, they claim 25% faster graphics. So it's built on 10 nanometer. Uh, we went over some of the CPU stuff. Like I said, we've done this we've done this many times before, um, talking about the Snapdragon 835, which is now called the Snapdragon Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 mobile platform. Not Everything's just, a platform. Not now. just a processor; it's a platform. Okay. And it actually, to be fair, if you look at this diagram. Uh, yeah, okay, but still. That's a lot of stuff going on, right? And it's I called get an it. SOC. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so this is the device I got to use. I went to, went to uh, San Diego and played around with the hardware. Uh, it is a Qualcomm reference device. This is not a phone you're going to be able to purchase. This is a, uh, a device that they are, you know, they're handmade type of thing. They're probably worth several hundred thousand dollars a piece. Um, to qualify the part, you know, uh, send these to OEMs to set, you know, proof of proof of concept for how to utilize all the hardware in there. Uh, our system was uh, six gigs of LPDDR4 memory. It had the X16 LTE modem, although we didn't have gigabit LTE service. Uh, you know, and it's got all the specs there. Android 7 1.1. So the point of this story was to basically do a quick performance preview of what it is. And I say preview very specifically because um, we don't know how devices will perform once we get a retail product like an s8 or a sony xperia or whatever it's going to be that comes out as the first phone with this it's going to have different thermal properties it's going to have you know different software optimizations in there um, this is really a spot check for us to see how how qualcomm is living up to its claims so uh, one of the most important tests that we run because we didn't have that much time with it uh, and something that i think was pr- a, a proof point enough for us to include if you look at geekbench Blue is the single-threaded, uh, uh, green is the multi-threaded results here. And a couple of things. One, so the 835 is up top here, just over 2,000 points. It is faster than the Huawei Mate 9, which uses the Kirin 960 SoC. Uh, and it is significantly faster than the Snapdragon 821. I think uh, we're talking about, let's see, what are we at here? 35% faster from the 821 to the 835. So that's a big, that's a pretty big uptick in single-threaded performance for something they didn't really talk a whole lot about. Now, also worth noting is that the Apple A9 and the 6S and the Apple A10 and the iPhone 7 are still rated much higher in single-threaded performance. Yeah, that's... That's always such a big difference. It's a huge difference, and it's always been Apple's calling card, right? Like they're not worried about multi-threaded. Yeah, but, but look at the multi-threaded score on as the, well. especially on the A10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is it's a, not bad. It's a, a 
four core, right? Yeah. Or no? Uh, it's a big plus little. It's a two plus two, I yeah, think. Yeah, two, two plus, plus two, two is, uh, is on the Apple. Yeah. Um, so the, also keep in mind there are OS to hardware optimizations and iOS that you can't do on Android necessarily. And yep. So some of that has to be taken into account. But uh, for Qualcomm, it's the fastest Android-based platform we've tested. And if you look at the multi-threaded results, um, the 835 is faster than everything else that we tested here and way faster than the 821 which was a 2 plus 4 or was it 2 plus 2 the um, the, the 821 821. 821 was 2 plus 2 okay um so you're going to get a big uptick there cuz you're just doubling the amount of cores even though some of them are little uh but the 835 is 52% faster than the 821 so uh, a pretty big change there um although Probably we would have we would have wanted to see more single threaded performance to try to catch up to that gap with Apple. Uh, memory results are good, moving up to LPDDR4, slightly higher speeds there. If you look at some of these browser based tests that are really just JavaScript performance tests, um, Google Octane. All, again, look at the, the Apple results are always very high because of the tight integration of the OS and, and hardware. Uh, but the A35 is faster than the Kirin 960. Um, which is its kind of primary competitor for right now, uh, and obviously, you know, than it, than itself, the A21. It's worth pointing out here, uh, however, even though the A35 is faster in Octane and faster in Geekbench, the Kirin 960 in the, is, is in a shipping part now. It's been shipping for several months. The uh, Snapdragon 835 is not really shipping commercially in a part yet. Mm-hmm. So they're ahead, but we don't know how much long how long they'll be ahead for, uh, depending on uh, what what high silicon and Huawei's roadmaps actually turn out to be. Now, in terms of graphics performance, the A35 is great, right? So, Slingshot 3D Mark and uh, ES 3.1, it's fastest. Uh, Slingshot 3, uh, ES 3.0, it's the fastest. All of our GF, GFX bench testing, it's the fastest. So, basically, what this means is. Um, it has the best graphics performance of any mobile chip. So what do you use that for? You, use it, you either use it for better VR performance, better gaming performance, or you use it to lower power efficiency or lower power draw while running at the same frame stuff. rates yeah. that you were running at before, in theory, leading up to, to, to higher bandwidth. Or, I'm sorry, higher battery life. Um, this is an interesting picture. This is the, on the right, is the 10 nanometer 835. And on the left is the 14 or 16 nanometer 821. Mm-hmm. It's a, for a self, that's, that's a significant difference. And for a cell phone, that's even more important when you're doing that type of stuff. So uh, that, that's, that's where the 835 is at today, right? So it's, it's an impressive uh, preview of performance. You know, they, they took us on some, some tours throughout their, their different labs, which they have a lot of there in San Diego. We saw power efficiency. Uh, we saw, you know, VR demonstrations. I got to try a Snapdragon 835-based VR headset with um, Leap Motion oh. integrated on it. Yeah. Where it like uses cameras and sees your hands where and like was emulates the, the hands. Uh, it was on the headset. It was on the headset, on the headset hmm. pointed down a little bit, and I got to you know like you could pick up things and throw them up in the air how, and how catch them. It was good. It was early. Like yeah. it's not super stable. Like the hands were jittery. a little bit jittery. Yeah, um, shouldn't have so much caffeine. The tra- yeah, 
the, the tracking wasn't spot on, you know, and different things. Yeah. Um, but the it was it was easily the most impressive demo I have seen since like some of the early early VR demos of like HTC Vive or whatever, mm-hmm. where like this is really cool. This is what's going to be it. Like it's clear that being able to see your hands and do things as as you would normally do interacting with them yeah. is the next is the next step right whether or not they can get it to work and what the software complications are and how you interact with things because you don't have any haptic feedback yeah you don't get any at least with the controllers there's vibrations and there's other yeah, things you're just waving your hands but like if i reach thing. to pick up this can and i feel like i have it does there's i get no in, nothing, i get no there's nothing in your hand yeah, yeah. i i get i, I yeah, then like if I crush it, I feel like the strongest man alive. You know, whatever it's going to happen to be, crushed but, it as if it wasn't even in my it, hand. It's really cool. I'm, I'm eager to get my hands on uh, some Snapdragon 835 devices and uh, see if they actually live up to a lot of these claims. Power consumption is going to be the big thing. Snapdragon 810 had power issues. Yep. Um, and they they don't want any repeats of that. So we'll see. All right. Up next, Alan, we're going to talk a little bit about Optane. We are. Intel Optane, S- Intel Optane SSD DC P4800X. <laughs> this is an actual product name that Intel is launching. That they have actually briefed us on, and we're actually allowed it's to on, talk about It's now. on that picture. The Intel Optane SSD yeah. DC P4800X, uh-huh. which is a real product. Uh-huh. Um, but this is an enterprise product, not a consumer product for now. Yes. Uh, w- but it also comes with Tecron and V-Power. Uh, sure. <laughs> it's got a sweet-ass no, no heat on it. I'm not going to lie. I it do looks, like, it I do looks like the heat design. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, so what is what are we looking at here? Uh, we are looking at a – this is Crosspoint, like in a product that's going to be a retail product. Things right? 3D like, Crosspoint that we have talked about for a while. For two years. A while. Now. Yes, might be more than two years by now. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Um, which is uh, non-volatile memory, okay, but not flash memory. It's some form of phase change change memory that goes way faster than flash. And yeah, a a one of the other one of the reasons that help it go way faster than flash is that flash memory you have to erase in relatively large blocks. You have to program in relatively not so large pages. Right. Like there's limitations on how you can do writes when you do when you mess with flash memory. And also reads take a certain amount of time as well. This crosspoint stuff works more just like really insanely fast, you know, it's it's not multi-level cell, it's just a one or a zero stored in a particular yeah. place. And it's able to write stuff in place, like at the byte level. Like if you want to just change one byte, you can just change just that one byte. It's, you don't have to shuffle a bunch of other stuff around, right? Yeah. So the end game there is that it acts much more like RAM. It, it behaves much more like yes. RAM, right? Yes. Uh, the speeds are not quite as fast as RAM, but they are much faster I mean, than NAND flash. It's not that they're not quite as fast. They're not as fast as RAM. Well, they're especially not as fast now, like in this form. Because you have to do several hops to get to it through NVMe True. over PCI. So it's worth pointing out that like there's there's 3D Crosspoint and then there's Optane. Yeah, Crosspoint is the technology of at the chip level. Yes, Optane is the implementation of the technology on a product level in products through at this point through PCIe. Yes, right. Yes. So like the which the, has its its bottlenecks. Yeah. So if you are writing. 
to RAM versus writing to Optane, like if you had an Optane die, mm-hmm. you know, and you were timing, how long does it take to write this byte to it, right? It's about 10 times the latency of RAM. Okay. Okay. But 10 times the latency of RAM is still way faster than the latency of sure. ri- trying to write to NAND flash. Yes. Right? You're still like 100 or 1,000 times. I wish they had made these terms less similar sounding. Like if you're having a conversation on the phone, you talk about NAND and RAM. Yeah. It's a little bit more confusing. I know. Well, you could just call it flash. Just, okay. You there know, you go. Just to make yeah, it yeah, easier. Yeah. We'll just call it flash. So the point of that is that as we look at this product, as we look at this picture in the spec sheet, it looks like a PCIe SSD. It is a PCIe SSD. Do we still call them SSDs? I guess so. It is still, still a solid state. state drive. Yeah. But it looks like a flash PCIe SSD. But it, it, is, it is behaving very differently yeah. technologically. Yes. Although at the end of the day, who cares? Like it's, it's super interesting technologically. Sure. But the performance and the pricing and, the, and what capabilities it offers and, and kind of pushes forward and advances is really what, is really what matters, right? Yes. For either consumers or enterprise or whoever. Yeah. So this but. thing is not meant to be the thing that replaces Flash. Okay. okay. Meaning why? You're not going to buy – if you had a server that had, say, four terabytes worth of you know, P3700, which is a Flash mm-hmm. enterprise SSD, you're not going to replace those four terabytes of Flash with four terabytes worth of this. Okay. Oh, God, no. Just because it's more expensive? Not the price. Primarily because of cost. Okay. But also – But you could have one sitting in front of them, couldn't you? Yes. You don't necessarily need – all of the flash or all of what is in that flash right now running that much faster. Yeah. Um, however, it would make a pretty mean caching layer so for, for I, that for I, that stuff. I, I think let's start it out this way. Like the 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 Optane SSD, you know, the P4800X, as I'm just going to call it, the P4800X is a product that will exist in an add-in card as well as a two and a half inch U.2 uh, U.2 yep. drive, right? Um, and it's primarily aimed at two implementations. Mm-hmm. One is to expand your memory footprint. Yes. And the other is to cache your SSDs. Yes. Right? Or so hard disks. Like or, just or, a caching layer for anything sure. slower. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and, but it's interesting in that depending in, in, in which method you go with, is very dependent on what your workload is. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If, if your workload would benefit from more memory, Mm-hmm. But you don't want to spend because memory is still significantly more expensive than what this is. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. Especially when you get into the high rank uh, uh, densities, this is an option yeah. for that. Yeah, you could have a server that you wanted an entire like half a terabyte database sitting in RAM because you just needed it to go that quickly. Yep. Right. Uh, instead of having to buy a half a terabyte or three quarters of a terabyte of RAM and put yep. it on the server, this. Despite the fact that it's like four bucks a gig, that's still way cheaper than right. ECC DRAM. So the three hundred seventy-five right? gig uh, version of this is fifteen hundred bucks. Yep, or so. Yep. Right. So one question the chat already came up: Is it limited to buy four PCIe bandwidth? I mean, this particular product, yes, is the implementation. So like your your yeah, peak yeah. bandwidths are are still limited oh, by the PCIe. It, so they're saying is it limited to the buy four bandwidth? It's actually limited a little bit shy of that. Because of over, just normal I think, overheads. I just think it's the controller because yeah. uh, clearly the <laughs> cross point itself can go really damn fast. So right. that's not the problem. I it, think it's just their, their ASIC, just their, their physical I know, interface between both. 
I know Intel didn't talk about it at the event we went to necessarily, but like the DIM implementation of Optane that yeah. Intel has talked about publicly before. Yep. That would be faster than this. Sure. It would have a much higher peak. Now, I think there are other. I think they ran into some hiccups with this and complications with it. That's why they're leading with this and not that. But yeah, um, well, uh, that like would a, be a, that would be an. What I'm saying, I just want to point like that would be a different interface for crosspoint. It would. It would. Then for, for something like the Dim four factor, you wouldn't even have a controller in the middle. Right. It would just talk through the CPU. The, 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 it would have to be host managed. Like the CPU, the BIOS, all that stuff would have to understand yeah. that it was talking to not RAM, but it was talking to something else, right? Um, which is still, you know, I mean, that's just going to take some time for all that stuff to, yeah. to line up, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm sure somewhere in Intel's campus, there's some physical crosspoint DIMMs sitting somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. sell them because you can't just plug them into stuff and have right. them work properly, right? Um so in that respect, yeah, that would pretty much you know take the lid off of any kind of like what you what you would what seems now to be something that's not fully utilizing, uh, you know, PCI 3.0 by four. Right, right. It's getting close. Don't get me wrong. And especially if you're doing things like random access, I mean, this thing it has sequential read and writes rated at around like a little bit over two gig per second, and it has random reads and writes rated at the bandwidth equivalent of the same. Okay. Like the same two gig per second. What would that be of, on like a P thirty seven hundred? For what? Those like for, those random. Uh, like what would a P thirty seven hundred actually reach? Yeah, I mean they're rated. It's like I think four hundred forty thousand or something like that. Okay. Uh, but you have to hit a Q depth of like two fifty six to get that. Right. Whereas this at a Q depth of I think twelve, it hits five hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. So, um, and if you go even lower on the Q depth, which you have to realize for a server or for pretty much most workloads, as we've come to find out more and more often lately, yeah, you don't you don't hit two fifty six Q depth. You don't like the Q depths you typically run at on a machine are on the low end. I would say if you're hitting right? two hundred fifty six Q Q depth, probably something's broken. Yeah, it's like your, your, <laughs> your database your is jacked, or, or there's or some other bottleneck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or you so, need to spread it out more. Yeah. So, so the key for not just not just an Optane thing, but anything that's a storage thing. What you want is you want the stuff as quickly as possible. Right. right? You want the latency as low as possible. Yep. And you want it to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't want it just low. You know, if it's low most of the time, but 10% of the time, it's, you know, a really long latency. That's that would bad. be bad. That's bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, NAND devices have to do management and shuffling around of data. Like, so, and that's, that's this slide here shows uh, up to 60. X better at the 99th percentile quality of service. Yeah. So what they're showing is it just looks like this huge scatter of, you know, mess of, of, yeah. of, of dots there on a plot, right? But um, the, the blue dots that are stretching all the way up to, you know, that's like, what, a couple of seconds worth? Yeah, so like 3,000 milliseconds. Yeah. So it's like yep. some of those IOs are taking three seconds. Right. Like individually. There's not that many of them taking three seconds, but there are some. And what's the blue kind of, represents their own P thirty seven hundred. Blue is their own P thirty seven hundred. And the SSD. orange at the bottom here is the Optane P forty hundred X. Yeah, the longest latencies of Jeez. of the Optane <laughs> SSD. You'll notice that there's actually white space between the Optane plot. Oh yeah, and the yeah, fastest right IOs of uh, the P thirty seven hundred. Yeah, right. So it's actually like the worst for this is better than the best. Right. For NAND. I do want to point out my favorite part about this is the configuration is an Intel 2U server codenamed Wildcat Pass. (laughs) Okay. I don't know why. I just thought that's – even their servers have to have 
code names. Sure. So, um, and then well, actually, after that, you've done Cougar Point, where else can you go? That, that next <laughs> chart, that next chart is very interesting because it's it's uh, Intel has a habit of doing this to me. I'll be kind of thinking of oh, actually, I'm, I'm trying to do like we're actually bouncing this idea. Alex can even test this. We're bouncing, bouncing around the idea like, what if you had backups running to a thing at the same time you were trying to randomly read it? And like, yeah. how could you possibly do tests to do that? And then here, here Intel comes along and goes, oh, yeah, we're just doing this uh, right pressure test. So they already have a name for it and everything. And it's already just like a solved thing as far as like So testing. this emulates a workload going on in the background. Yeah, you're, you're steadily increasing. That's, a, what these, that's what these steps are. Yeah, you're steadily increasing an amount of random writes. Okay. Like like an IOPS. Yep. Like a steady IOPS of random writes in the background. Yep. So imagine you had something else just kind of loading on IOs onto this thing. And at the same time, you have some other thing like, you know, a web server's running on this or something, mm-hmm. right? It needs to do random reads. Yep. So the blue uh, mash here represents the P3700. It's latency. Yeah, it's a late. Or no, before. actually, it's ran- random write megabytes per second on the on the on the right. No, 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 no. And then it's average read response time on yeah. the left. Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. so that scattery blue line that's kind of climbing is up the there. Increase in latency as the write load increases. Yes, but it's the latency of the reads. of the reads. Right. Yeah. Um, Whereas the orange here at the bottom is the optane optane with that same stair stepped random write latency going yeah. on over time. <laughs> It just doesn't care. So even at an early state, it's 8x better. Yeah. But towards here at the end, when you're up to, you know, you're, you're, say you're writing 750 megabytes of data per second to this drive, which is a lot, to be fair. It is. And, and your antivirus decides to kick off at just oh, that moment. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your backup side. job just sort of kicks off for some reason. Yeah. But so, the, the, but the, the, but the that, average latency is 40 times lower on the Optane drive. Yeah, because the Optane doesn't really care that yeah. that other stuff is going on in the background because it doesn't have to do all of the extra shuffling around of data that, that Flash has to do. Yeah. Um, you know, that kind of stuff makes the drive busy doing other stuff, right? And that means that some of those reads have to wait in line. They have to take extra time to get serviced. So, yeah. uh, again, it's a pricey thing. But in, the, in this case, one of the examples Intel showed was this... Um, it's the server example. It's actually like the next one down, right? But so they, thing had, here? They, had a, they had a yeah. server with three quarters of a terabyte of RAM in it, and the, it was running a thing where the database all fit into RAM. So hmm. the database was small enough where it could just be running all in RAM. And they said, okay, well, what happens if we just replace this with drop the RAM down to 128 gig? So I think it was 64 gig per, per chip. Yep. Or per Xeon, right? Uh, and put four of these... P4800X's in there, right? So that thing, I'm pretty sure that server ends up being, first of all, cheaper yes. than buying That's three kind of, of a terabyte of DRAM, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, it does take a bit of a performance hit in transactions per second. So it's only going to go 80% of the speed of the all-RAM server. Yes, in transactions it goes from 1077 transactions per second to 870 transactions yeah. per second. So not as fast, mind you, sure. But there was... They noticed that in, in other workloads, they actually got an improvement in performance, and that was matrix multiplication, which is where you're taking numbers from different parts in the database and trying to do multiplication of them. Well, in the server example that had all RAM, uh, like, think about it. Half of your database requests had to j- hop across to the other CPU's RAM. Mm-hmm. So you're going across NUMA. 
right? Mm-hmm. You're going across the the interconnects He's between the CPUs, right? Uh, hmm. um, whereas in the Optane system, either CPU just goes straight via PCI, via its PCI mm-hmm. to Optane. Uh, and the way that they were able to optimize just how their driver works for this for this thing, right, for this kind of overlay. It works like a hypervisor, which I think is the coolest part of it. You just install this the thing. The Intel memory drive technology. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you, you're not reconfiguring anything else underneath it. It runs as a hypervisor and then boots your OS, and it just sees yeah. what looks like RAM. It's it just, an extra piece of software that will cost more than the above the cost yeah, of the drive. Yeah, some licensed. You have to license it. Right. Where yeah. It's like a – they called it like a hypervisor, but it, it's like it, the well, most bare-bones version of a hyper, hypervisor yeah. you could have, right? Where it's yeah. basically – it's helping map the Optane drive as memory. Yeah. Yeah, basically that's what it's doing. Yeah. But the comparative cost and the ease of installation, uh that that's a reasonable expense. Exactly. That's why they just pop her in and away she goes. That's is. why they're excited about this stuff because they're like, look, we we made it work this way. You can do this. You can just plug in another server and just yep. have your server run this other way, you know. Um and they had other people up there talking and they had, you know, VMware like uh ESXi 6.5 mm-hmm. has support for it built in already now, like because they've V-San. been working. With, yeah, there's there's other stuff with support for it. So in yep. other words, it's aware that it is a faster tier than Flash, and it can use it accordingly if you just basically point it to that thing yep. that's plugged in the system. Um, so in other words, you don't have to completely reconfigure your VMware server infrastructure. You just kind of add this thing, and it right. can it can speed stuff up for you. Right? So hmm. you know, it's, it's pretty it's cool. cool. Um, now, obviously, for for the majority of our audience, we're kind of waiting for what the sing, what the consumer version of this will be, which they've said there will be one. They, yes, they, they did at the event. They said that. that there will be a consumer version of it. Yeah, and we're not allowed to give details on that. But at the end of my post, I decided to do a history lesson. Okay, which is that this Intel SSD seven thirty, which was a SATA SSD. Yep, it was based on the enterprise SATA SSD from Intel. It was like same exact form factor, mm-hmm. everything. Just had a different label on it and different firmware, right? Uh, and then they came out with the Intel SSD 750, which is yep. the PCIe NVMe one, yep. which was based on like the P3500. I, I would say this is great, uh, but I think <laughs> asking people to pay $4 oh, no, or yeah. something or even $3 or maybe e- probably even $2 per gig. That is high. For an Optane drive at this point with... Yeah, price up next to ECC RAM, though. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, but let's say questionable impact on consumer workloads. That is true, right? That that will be more. That will be a more complex discussion to that have. That is true. Yeah, your your right. software really has to be aware of this thing to yeah. take full advantage yeah. of it. If you just use it in place of, you know, even like a like a Samsung, if you have like a nine sixty Pro or something in your system mm-hmm. right now, that's a damn fast yeah. NVMe SSD, yeah. right? Uh, most of the time, your system is not waiting on that drive to do anything. Yep. You're, well, you're bottlenecked elsewhere. Yep. You're bottlenecked on CPU, other stuff, right? So moving to this, you're probably not going to see that big of a thing. Now, if you're doing a bunch of, like, number crunching stuff or database kind of stuff, or you're basically one of those pro users that's kind of pushing the terms of enterprise, you know, on your personal system as far right. as, like, what your workloads are, then you'll start seeing differences. 
But we'll have to see then. Uh, uh, we also yeah. had a little bit at the end here on Optane memory, but I think we'll save that discussion for It'll next week. It'll have to be week. for next week. Yeah. yeah, we'll save that discussion for them, and we'll roll through some other things. A uh, quick side note before we get to the next story. I did, uh, in my trying to get away from traffic in Columbus, drove past the Amazon Central Ohio Data Center. All the AWS. Yeah. Because it was funny because my stepmother had said – was we were driving past, she's like, oh, this is the new Amazon warehouse. And as we were getting closer to it, I was like – Awful big cooling towers on that warehouse. I was like, that building doesn't look (laughs) – and from a distance, I said, oh, look. Oh, no, I see – oh, you're right. I see all of the um – like the – what do you call the the bays where the trucks would pull up to Uh it, right? And as we got closer, I was like, no, those aren't bays. Those are vents. Those are all Uh vents coming out the back of the building. And there was like no labeling on the building. There was nothing like that. And then as we came around the corner, I was like, oh, look at all the power – Infrastructure that they built right next to it. Yeah, ah, this is a data, data center. center. This is not. This is not a shipping warehouse. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no semi trucks here. She said, oh, "Okay, that explains it." Like they were very hush hush about like the the stuff they were putting in it. Right? Data centers are always because she works. She works for um, a CenturyLink, right? And so they were one of the providers try- helping get them all the, yeah. the setup they needed. But they yeah. would not talk about the interior. At all. Of course. They're like, you bring us the lines here, we'll yeah. handle it, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you don't get to come inside. Yeah. The, the D-mark is on the outside of the building. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny because when you walked – literally, there was like maybe four cars in this place. <laughs> That's it. And it looked like a military uh-huh. establishment. It was, it, was, it was neat to see just to, just to go by the outside. Uh, all right. So uh, let's go through the rest of these things a little bit quicker. BitPhoenix announced a – did they actually call it the portal? That looks so cool. I Look at see him. you. <laughs> that looks so cool. That's really funny. Did they actually call it portal? Yes. Yeah. That, that's it's probably licensed. licensed. It's, it's not probably licensed. not licensed. It's not licensed. There's no way. God, it's so close, though. It's but really cool looking. It's so, so close this, to the it robots. Is. For people on the audio version, this is a chassis that is It is basically a computer case. Is it micro ATX? Looks like. Maybe uh, mini ITX. T- mini uh, ITX. ITX sorry. I'm just waiting for the sides ITX. to pop open so it's and start mini, shooting you. It's mini ITX, but it, they and they clearly just like wrapped a plastic thing around it that makes it kind of look like the uh, uh, the, the turret turrets. from Portal. Yeah, and they have it a black version. They have a white version. I love how it comes out <laughs> there. Right, like you just need like a linear actuator there. To- yeah. <laughs> yep. Maybe not that fast. <laughs> uh, That's really cool looking. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, we, do we know anything about price on this, Jeremy, or is it? Uh, not off the top. The it's uh, 140 cards. bucks, rather. There it is. Is that the GPU up top? I thought yeah. that was, I was the first lot. I thought it it's was a reserved. CPU it, It's cooler. reversed. So that whole thing is bigger than I would have thought. Oh, just yeah. So at if the you picture. look up here, you can so it, see the video card slot yeah. Yeah, upside. It's up, so it's upside That's down. That's a decent-sized case, then. It's mini ITX, yeah, it's but it's, it's fairly deep. Yeah. 139 bucks. Uh, it looks like the product page is up on Newegg. That's pretty neat. It's about neat. 10 by 16 by 16. That's a um, pretty good case. Percentage. It's pretty neat. That is pretty I've cool. seen one review of it. The review could have been done better. Yeah. Uh, we'll say, so you should get one in for Sebastian because either this thing is like as amazing point. as it looks or Poor it's Sebastian. actually a real pain in the arse to work with. Hmm. And I'm curious which. Or Sebastian has a lot of cases. Oh, we There's don't a, have any cases. A lot of cases. Yeah, oh, we're running out of cases? Uh, Ken yeah. just volunteered. There you go. Does that have ports on the side? Uh, Where do you see that? It does. It's like in the... That one right there. Oh, yeah, right here. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that would be the cable that attaches to the motherboard. I would assume it'd be a fairly lengthy cable if you're going to be able to slide everything out without having to disconnect stuff. Yeah. yeah. But oh, and there's a there's a window on the top. Yeah, I've that's seen interesting. Some of that. The top is a window. Yeah. Yeah, so you, you can, can see, see your GPU. GPU. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty I mean, that's, neat. That's, yeah. a, that's a good idea. It does sound like Josh is here now. All right. Very cool. Uh, also up, Ken. Ooh, Ken has two two things on the podcast. Ooh, slackers. Oof. Yeah, what's up with you guys? Oh. Uh, Sprint, Qualcomm, Motorola. Uh, we were just talking about this a little bit earlier. Demonstrating gigabit class LTE networks at uh, New Orleans. And this is that Motorola device in a weird box. Yeah. Did they say it was using Snapdragon 835? Yep. They did? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yet um, to be announced device. A yet to be announced device. We have a hard time it. getting that number and speed test on, like, copper-connected yeah. gigabit. <laughs> so this is, no a, this is an LTE device. It's not running on Wi-Fi. Um, and it was in a stadium. Were there people so, in the stadium at this point or an arena yeah, at this people point? People were filing in for, like, pregame stuff at this point. And this is on Sprint's network. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, it was probably... So explain that part for me real, kid, real quick, And Like, there was there was... Sprint had an interesting position for gigabit LTE in the U.S. because of their prior uh, WiMAX yeah. stuff, so, essentially. So with the WiMAX deployment, they got the license to a whole bunch of spectrum in the 2.5 gigahertz range, which is way higher than most of the spectrum that you normally see for cell carriers. Something okay. like AT&T and Verizon run on like 1,700 to 1,900 megahertz for their current LTE rollouts. Right. So this is very high-frequency spectrum, which gives Sprint a couple of advantages here. They can do super small antennas as compared to the other guys because Mm. antenna size is inversely proportional to frequency. Mm Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So they can do large antenna arrays and small deployments and deploy those where they need them in cities so they can have a box that has... That's doing 4x4 MIMO, which is what enables part of this. And they can have microcells that they can just put on top of buildings as they need them, as if they, they see load increase, Okay, which is a nice thing. Uh, and they also see a massive benefit in carrier aggregation, which is the idea of taking multiple LTE bands and connecting to them at the same time to sort of reduce load upon the network and increase throughput, which we're seeing the throughput part here. So in, I think it's 100 of the top markets, Sprint currently has three-channel carrier aggregation turned on. Huh. Interesting. Which kind of puts them far and away above a lot of the other carriers who just don't have the spectrum next to each other in the band to do this. You could do carrier aggregation with spectrum that isn't immediately next to each other in the same range, but it's just much more difficult of a problem. Do you have to have different antennas and stuff for that? Yeah, you have to have different antennas and I think... I think different radios even, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I think you have to have multiple radios to be kind of on those two frequencies at the same time. Gotcha. But Sprint Mm. has, I think it's like 160 megahertz of spectrum in the 2.5 gigahertz band. It looks like they say 204. I think that's their total allocation. Okay. Okay. I think it's like 160 in 2.4 specifically. Okay. Okay. And an LTE channel's 30 megahertz, I think, currently – I, it, it's it's something like that. I think it's thirty. Okay, is about what they're using. 
So they can do... Does it do HSPA as well? No. Damn it. This would be, this is an LTE thing, and then Sprint <laughs> with the legacy 3G networks because of that stuff. I love I love imagery like this yeah. when I talk about like uh, 2.5 gigahertz. What's the HPUE? Uh, uh, high performance user equipment. All right, so disadvantage is 2.5 gigahertz. <laughs> Limited range. Range sucks. Yeah. Right. Well, because it's it's less than lower frequency. Yeah. It's less than everything else that you would use for LTE. Okay. Well, it's less than everyone else. Okay. So in order to overcome this sort of disadvantage, the carriers who are using 2.5, because Sprint isn't the only carrier in the world that's doing this. SoftBank, who owns Sprint now, but SoftBank in Japan, is kind of the pioneer of what they're calling HPUE, high high performance user equipment. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. essentially the idea is it's a sub-spec of LTE standards that allows your device to go into higher power transmit which helps the distance that the yeah that's the, the limit is the, talking yeah, back carries. to the tower and the limit is actually on upload yeah so it, hpue mm-hmm. turns up the radio for upload so that you can contact the tower from further away yeah and they say if you look at this diagram that it gets you in about the same range that something like ni- 1900 megahertz which is kind of where the majority still, of lte sits. i still find that the most amazing part about cell phones, you don't really think about it, but like your cell phone has to talk to that tower yeah. two miles away or a mile yep. away. Yeah. And that's the from this factor. From this little thing, yeah. it has Which to you have don't the power use, to get back. You don't want to use a lot of power. Right, right. <laughs> that to me is still like... And that's why your battery... I mean, air is certainly a conductor, but it's I, not an amazing conductor. I feel, I feel like my dad when he would say like, I don't know how your fancy technology works these days, <laughs> but whatever, right? I feel like that when I said that out loud, but it was like, how does this send it all the way over uh-huh. there, right? Yeah. Like, uh-huh. I can barely understand how the radios on that talk to Wi-Fi, yeah. you know? <laughs> but to think that it's going through things and through walls and all that crap and they have to account for all that is, is Really good signal processing. Yeah. 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 So the downside of HPUE is that it has to be implemented by the device manufacturers. Mm. There's They've seen some adoption. Uh, the LG G6 was, was announced at MWC last month, or okay. earlier this month, I guess. It's the first device that it has HPUE, but they say there'll be more. This Motorola phone we saw has it. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if Clearly. something like the Galaxy S8 had it. Cool. Seems to be something that people are implementing and jumping yeah. on. All right. Yeah. So essentially their demo revolved around showing us three of these Motorola phones simultaneous. If you scroll down, I think I have a photo of this B test. Yeah. So they wanted to show sort of distributed load across the network as opposed to just pure throughput. Because there's not a whole lot you're going to be able to do with 600 megabits per second on your individual phone. But these technologies enable everyone to get faster speeds as more people connect to the network. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that the gigabit push from Qualcomm and others has has been really – it's like the the more higher performance modems you get on the network, Mm -hmm. the better – the aggregate bandwidth of the network can be in total. So mm-hmm. as more people as people buy like Galaxy S eights and those proliferate out through the proliferate out through the networks, like people who are on S sevens and S sixes will see improvements in their bandwidth. Yeah. Just because of the way uh the the management systems work, mm-hmm. right? So it's it, it's an interesting 
benefit to all users, right? The highs get higher and the lows also get higher yeah. uh, in these implementations. Yeah, so they were showing three of these handsets and they were adding up to about 500, 600 megabytes a second depending on kind of when we started the speed test and what servers they were hitting. And we they, they let us mess around with all of that, which is pretty cool. Hmm. And again, it was a production network. If you somehow had one of these devices in the arena, which there are no devices with 835 out, right. but if you had a device that had the four antennas, which this has for 4x4 MIMO, and an 835 or something with the X16 modem, which is only the 835 at this point, I think, then, like, in theory, you would have been able to do it in that arena. And it was a completely production network, and they were showing it off. People, the people with Sprint phones who were in the crowd were still connecting to that same cell site that they set up. So... Speeds got a little bit slower throughout the night as more people connected to it and were using data, but there right. wasn't really sort of a big hit there. It, it was apparently this is what Sprint likes to do when launching network technologies. They like to show it at things like sporting events in yeah. crowded areas to kind of put some. Oh, I'm trying to remember who did it in Wembley, and I think it might have been Sprint. Well, probably not Sprint and yeah. Wembley. So it was paired maybe. with uh, Voda or whoever it was over there. Yeah. I mean, the big thing again, is the, showing off. That is the torture test, right? So yeah, know, because if you're I test mean, it, you might as well test it there. It's like the bane of my. It's like, yeah, I want to be posting all these cool pictures of me at these sporting events, and I can't. Yeah. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, I, I, I stuck. I, luckily, I stuck my way into the into the press Wi-Fi at the UK's Rupp Arena, <laughs> so I could still do that. I want to say, I want to, uh, their next test to be like in the convention center at CES. Yeah, no, that's the torture well, test. I, I mean, that since, would be the one. Yeah. Since, that would be the test. Since we've been going to CES, like my first one was in 2010, yeah. somewhere around 2012, 2013, you could actually start to use the cell service, and it's actually usable in yeah. that convention center now. I don't know what these networks did, but like, yeah. I, I think I think what ends up it might have been just user equipment. To be yeah. Honest. Well, what ends up happening lately, like they'll bring you know. Local trucks, temp local sites, cells like temp sites, yeah. but then like you'll so you have good signal, but the issue we'll run into is like you your internet is still crappy because like the uplink from their no from their site is like running out that, of bandwidth. Basically. Honestly, like that that was the case in like 2010 and 2011, yeah. 2012 as LTE started rolling out, but like uh, I don't see that anymore yeah. at at yeah. CES. Wait, last CES wasn't that bad. Yeah, like you I don't can remember like we had we had trouble you know. getting signal at that hotel, but I don't know if it was the hotel. Yeah. Like but I would I mean, have I, I my hotspot at the window. No, I'm talking about at uh, at the hotel. Oh. I, I remember having to like drop your phone, like turn off LTE on your phone and drop down to 3G or 2G to even get a data connection. Sure, in that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. I, was back I, in the good old days. I think the proliferation of sort of higher performance and better LTE modems has helped that. Yeah. So uh, that that's pretty cool. I, I, I'm more excited about this than I thought it was going to be, the Gigabit Class LTE stuff. Good, because you're going to hear a lot about it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, but, like, it's coming to the U.S. You know, I, I, there was the event in Australia that Maury went to, and I was like, okay, great. One carrier in Australia is going to have it, whatever. But now it's Sprint. T-Mobile's yeah. talking about it. AT&T's I think Verizon about. is, yeah. yeah. I mean, so they all have to be. Like They're all going to be. It's just a matter of how much they're going to yeah. charge me. This well, was and the- Telstra will talk about it. They won't roll it out for a long time. <laughs> well, Telstra is Telstra selling Telstra it today yeah. in Australia. Like, it's available today. You can On buy the mobile, the mobile hotspot. hotspots yeah. today. Really? Yeah. I'm shocked. Yeah. yeah, Sprint's demo was the first demo in the U.S. In, no, in the real world of oh. gigabit class LTE on a handset. 
Uh, Telstra was only showing it. They were showing the only the hotspot. Hot that's yeah. right. That's right. That's yeah. All right. A um, couple of quick notes here on I, the the Vulcan multi GPU support. There's this is a something lot that, of updates. There's a article. lot of updates to this. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, can you explain any of this to me? It, it's none of it is confusing whatsoever. No. Update. Update. I, <laughs> these are these in time order or numeric order? Yeah. Okay. They're in time order. Start at the top. So okay. long story oh, okay. short, this is where we figure. Or no, sorry. It's yeah. They go bottom. The latest up. is at the top. Yeah. Yep. So. We have figured out uh, that as far as implicit multi-GPU on Vulkan goes, it's not tied to Windows. So you can pretty much pull it off on Windows 7 and 8.1. 10, no problems whatsoever. Explicit. <laughs> not implicit, but explicit. The, the uh, ones we all like to watch. Mm-hmm. Pretty much the same story. And then there's the unlinked uh, multi-GPU, the MDA, which is sort of the Vulkan native one, is going to be interesting because it's backdated all the way. It doesn't matter what you're going to do unless you're running an Apple, in which case they're a little bit upset about Spock for some reason. Apple doesn't like Vulkan. Apple does not like Vulkan at all. You guys can't see it on this, but I do want to point out, Alan, you can see on the screen that the Amazon ads correctly picked learning up like Vulcan. learning Vulcan books yes. over here Vulcan on the cookbook. side. Yeah. Vulcan cookbook. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, right. and so, so, of so course, Linux is it, it supports it. It actually does a better job because, like, we're still watching some of the drivers catch up for DX11, DX12. Yeah. But, you know, for Vulcan, Linux is pretty damn good and has been for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, so is the, deal that, is the deal that we thought? didn't work in 7 and 8.1 but it actually that does. was the thing but it will but it has to be like people have to do work yeah to make but it work. if it was lda then pretty much the originally the thought was it wasn't going to work at all there was some miscommunication i think some of it on vulcan's side some of it on the press reading it okay but they did not make it clear the unlinked mda yeah a graphics card agnostic they didn't care it can just provide multi-GPU. But if you want to do the LDA, they started out sort of saying, no, it's going to be Windows 10 only. And then, well, it's turned out with a bit of work. Don't worry about it. You'll probably be able to pull it off as far back as Windows 7. Right, right. But like the vendors have to add support for it in their drivers. That's like it's not like it's not like problem. it's some easy thing that they just, oh, we gotta turn no. this one flip this one switch in our driver and make it work. No, they actually would have to like do some coding work to like make it work mm. with the old with the older driver model that's in OS's before Windows ten. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. But it's so, the old Windows display module, whatever that yeah. uh I would imagine was. I would imagine it would be more work than it was to implement under Windows ten drivers model well you're gonna have to and plus you're gonna have to need to go back to an almost extinct operating system that too <laughs> at least as far as microsoft is concerned although i mean well yeah i mean seven is still in a lot of places yeah like, yeah it is as far as percentage used currently the largest market share oh that's the outdated table don't show that one all right well there you go your update. I appreciate all the marks, like the, the strike throughs on that yeah, table. Yeah, this one. Like, no. It's dedication no. to accuracy. Well, we no. thought it was this, but no, it turns out that's, that's not that. Then it was sort of supported, and well, no, it's an equivalent as long as you program said equivalent or nice. find a driver that supports yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Corsair quickly 
the new 10 keyless K63 mechanical gaming keyboard. Yeah, so if you don't want to spend 270, <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe what else you'd you got? spend 80. That's less. 80 is definitely less. So they did chop the numpad off it. So oh. you know, you know, you're buying less uh, those cherry switches. Yeah, yeah. And they are you're basically cherry buying red. less of everything. Yeah, uh, apparently well, you're buying cherry is... red. It's got a red backlight, so you can't do by key. But uh, oh, it's just only I mean, a red backlight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Eighty bucks for sure. Eighty bucks ain't bad. But Eighty bucks is way less expensive than most of these other. It, it, it yeah. is apparently made out of plastic, as opposed to the aluminum that every other Corsair keyboard is made out of. Oh, so it is, it is a bit cheaper, but yeah. Hmm. But apart from that, it runs on the same software. So if you're used to one, I wonder if it still fits in the laptop. Uh, I would suspect so. Yeah, it looks I, like I'd it's the same. It, it looks like that cover. I'd be disappointed if it didn't. Let's put it that <laughs> way. Yeah, it looks like it's following the same form factor, just yeah. made out of plastic on the on the lid yeah. instead yeah. of uh, brushed aluminum. Looks like uh, Amazon got... has it for seventy nine bucks on pre order. All right. So you've got. Umpteen billion gaming keyboards on the market, which are mechanical switches, the vast majority of which start at 100 and go up. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you want, really want one, but you don't want to spend the money and plastic, I mean, do you really want to beat someone with your keyboard? Maybe it's best it was plastic so you don't actually hurt mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. There. But this one's plastic, isn't it? Yeah, that's not a it's not a K series. It's, it's, it's only the, like it's another only the, brand of Corsair keyboard. It's only the top plate of the yeah that, the other ones that are that's that are aluminum uh, okay yeah so it's not i mean i don't think it really adds that much to the like the strength of the thing nah. all right a couple of other things here uh we have the evga updated uh sc17 uh or this is new 4k g-sync yeah. mobile g-sync Oh no no! This is this is an updated updated. SC17, Uh, 17-inch 4K IPS G-Sync panel, so 60 hertz G-Sync panel. Um, So I think that's probably the major update here. I still really liked our our first look at uh, the EVGA SC17, and I know based on what I saw at um, CES, they actually have another couple of updates coming down the line with this. This has a 1070 in it. The the SC17 you reviewed had 980 and yeah, it was a 980. Oh, okay, okay. So this so this is it's got an unlocked 6820HK processor Core i7. That's the same. Uh, Yeah, yeah, probably. And the 1070 that isn't a mobile version, but it's a mobile version. Well, yeah, they're just it's slightly different. It's it's essentially same perf level. Um, So that so that's good. Uh, It is a. Three display output. If you're a multi-monitor person, as Scott writes here, one HDMI, two mini DP, um, twenty-seven ninety-nine. Very steep, very expensive. Uh, to, you know, twenty-eight hundred dollars for the SC17 with the ten seventy with NVIDIA G-Sync 4K display. But they do have apparently a two hundred fifty dollars off uh, rebate on that guy as well. Be a bargain at half the price. I kind of like it's understated. Like styling, yeah, to it, just a matte finish, black, yeah, laptop, right. Um, it's built well. It is, yes, yeah. The SC17 that I've had, solid. had here is is definitely that. So it's not the ROG with the uh, exhaust pipes coming out the back. No, it is not. No, exactly. Lights. It's yeah. significantly understated comparatively. So I wish there. they could figure out some way to let those panels run at 
higher frames per second if you dropped it to like 1080p or something. I mean, I know it's not yeah. a realistic thing, but it just maybe one you day. know, just not today. Because so um, you got to go the other way. You got to have a 1080p upscale. Uh, yeah, that you can do, but not reverse. Here you yet. go. Here's your monitor. Our final story: the <laughs> LG 32 UD99 is a FreeSync 4K HDR display um, for 999, 95 yeah. percent DCI P3, which is good. It is very good. Uh, uh, factory calibrated um it is FreeSync 4k so you know this is if you have an amd yeah. gpu at this point uh or you could obviously use it at static refresh rate with anything yeah um it is 9.99 it's for pre-order from b and h uh, and it has a hundred dollar gift card apparently at b and h photo as well um i really really want to get hands-on with these hdr displays I, I have now seen the G-Sync HDR monitor enough times yep. to to realize that the I one really... one was enough. Yeah, but... The, the, <laughs> one of them was enough. Yeah. Tap made a new demo for it that's actually very compelling, kind of oh, showing yeah. the difference in the in the color space as well as the brightness uh, adjustments that yeah. um, re- really help it stand out. And so I'm ready for the HDR monitors now. They can happen anytime. Yep. I, I will say, I think this one... Um, did they mention the spec? I think maybe on B&H Photo they mentioned they, the spec. They never mention the refresh rate anywhere. No, people, they don't. People assume it's and 60. And they don't do the RGB either. It's got to be 60. Yeah, My one concern is that it's only listed as having a 350 candela per meter squared brightness. Yeah. For an HDR. Yeah, candela? but yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Is that actually honest? Is, or is that? I don't know. It's it's kind of, it's early. You know, I don't know. That's like the opposite okay, of an like HDR panel. Okay, looks like they have peak at 550. Okay. 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 That's Tip- better. Typical at 350. So maybe that's, maybe that's better. Uh, response time is five milliseconds gray to gray. So that's a little high. It's maybe for IPS gaming side. Panel. I mean. It'll be IPS. Is that typical for IPS? Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, and uh, since HDR is HDR10, and this has to support LFC, right? Because it's FreeSync two. Does it say FreeSync two? FreeSync it's FreeSync HDR. That doesn't mean FreeSync two. Whoa. Whoa. It's FreeSync. Come on, I haven't, HDR I haven't with heard a star. anything. But that's gotta. Uh, I know, but it doesn't. I mean, mean, I'd agree with you, but I don't know. Should be. Yeah, is I would it, say should is be. Is it two or two and a half for? Uh, Two and uh, a half. LFC. Uh, two point five. I seriously doubt actually. That panel. I think they got it down to two. Okay. I think they got it down to two because I could see that panel going to down fair. to thirty. I doubt it would go down to. What would it be? I don't know if. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Uh, it just says AMD FreeSync technology. It doesn't say anything about yeah. FreeSync two. Now, monitor dealers so. are getting worse and worse about releasing actual specs. Yeah, but don't worry. There's already I, reviews. I wonder if they oh, added it website. to because uh, AMD's got that um, that cool display page. That I, think lists it, all the... I think it was on there. I think I saw that it was on there. Oh, really? Yeah. I, would, I think I think this was originally announced as part of FreeSync Two, but I could be wrong. No, they didn't have any product announcements when I first heard about FreeSync Two. They did not have any product announcements, uh, like actual things. Because that, that was, in, that like was Nvidia's big drum they were beating at CES. Was that yeah. we actually have a product we can show you? You know that type of deal. Let's All see. right. You're going to look at that up real yeah, fast? Yeah, I'm looking that up. You can... All right. Go for it. We're going to get into UFC our hardware, software no, it's, picks. It's on AMD's site. There's a, they have a list. Oh, Like right. they have a database. 
But does it show anything for FreeSync 2? I doubt it. All they have is an Acer and a Samsung for a 32-inch. But It'll be there. You just need to spend three hours searching. Oh, no, I don't know if they do. Um, but they give you the range for all the panels that they have on their in their little database, which is why I was going to look it up there, but it's not uh, okay. there. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into our hardware software picks of the week here. Uh, up first is mine. I just ordered this on the way here, which is a tempered glass screen protector for the Nintendo Switch. Why did you order that, Ryan? Uh, because I had scratches on the side of my Nintendo Switch. On the screen? Link gets you excited, does on it? The, on, it's actually not on the screen itself, but it's on the, gla- or on the plastic that covers the bezel as well. Oh, like the yeah. like your dock is scratching it. You got because a bad my dock. dock is scratching. It. Yeah, did I get and a bad that, dock? That or, did dock they, or did they design a bad? It's dock? a soft touch coating. Mine right? didn't do it at first either. It, I think it's like how careful are you taking it in? It? I but think it's, it's that, a design defect with some of the docks. But what's the design defect? That like it bulges out. Honestly, Ken, I think the issue is just that it's plastic that's not soft touch, and what's on that device is soft touch plastic. It's like a coating that's over the plastic. Yes. Right? I guess. If you yeah. rub it against anything else that's a regular plastic, it's going to scratch it. What are you, we're talking about the screen. No, he's talking about the plastic on either side of the screen, right? No, that's the piece but of it's, glass. But it's the same screen. It's the bezel. It's the same. The, the, the black border. Like the part yeah. that, yeah, the, the black border is also oh. covered by the same coating I'm surprised as the screen. Oh. It's dumb. I actually ordered this and I ordered a case today while, while we were driving home. Yeah. I need Columbus. to get like a case. This was this is ten ninety nine for a two pack. I don't know why people sell crap in two packs, because I I just always because you're up, gonna scratch the crap out of the first no, one. I put and you the want other one on one. a shelf. No, you want to know why really? Because people have a lot of installing. Oh well, that I would understand. Because yeah. I always put the, the second one on a shelf, and then two years later, go, why did I keep this? And I throw it away. Yeah. I bet I've done that for five phones or whatever that I've had this with. Um, and but, here I thought they were rap fans or something. Yeah, you get, I'm more impressed that this thing already has like close to 1,700 customer <laughs> reviews <laughs> and five-star rating on it as well for 1099. Yeah. So uh, if you have a Switch and you care about it, and I actually don't know for sure that this covers the bezel all the way. Uh, it looks it like it does it from the like, picture. Like it maybe does. It looks like it does. I mean, a lot of people have been buying these. But if it do- even if it doesn't, I really don't care if the bezel gets scratched. I just want to make sure I don't accidentally scratch like the actual part that's covering the screen. Yeah. Anyway, so well, that's that's it. That's what I got. AM film tempered glass screen protector. AM film. I am. Am am film. I am film. All right. Who's up next? Uh, Jeremy. What do you got? All right. So if you can't figure out a way to have fun with a vacuum chamber, I'm not really sure I want to know you. Uh, but this guy has figured out uh, a really easy build. Frankly, the hardest thing to do is find someone who's risking a run-in with the law that's throwing a air conditioner or a uh, fridge out on the yard because all you need to do is harvest a compressor from it. Yeah. Other than that, the parts are less than 30 bucks. Yeah. And you can sit there and watch a vacuum chamber at work in a giant bell jar. Scroll back and forth here. So don't you can get my, you can get like a legitimate yeah. vacuum pump from like Harbor Freight for pretty cheap if you're in the states. Yeah, but it's still a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, easy. Yeah, but you can also use it to fix the AC on your car and stuff. You know, so it's handy. Well, you could also do it with this thing. <laughs> I, mean, uh, I mean, you know, one trip to the look. There's a light switch on it. That's pretty badass. Yeah, <laughs> one well, trip to the auto hey, shop and paying builds. someone to refill your AC is like, you know. The cost of the vacuum pump, basically. Yeah, but it's an oil pump, so it. it yeah, 
it's cheap to run. It's easy to run. Uh, it's a great build you could do with your kids if you wanted, or just if you're not used to working <laughs> with electronics. There are useful purposes to having a vacuum chamber as well, but this is something that you could use for other builds. Hmm. Or you could just screw around with it with, you know, uh, as he does uh, a pop bottle and a bunch of shaving cream just to see what happens when it hits vacuum. <laughs> is that just a block of wood that's the base for the, I, for the chamber? Well, he's got a silicon uh, cutting mat sitting there and a bunch of... Uh, Okay. What you might call it around. I was trying it. to figure out how he was sealing it because it would just suck yeah. through the wood. Uh, it's just it, the but... cheapest amount of uh, silicon yeah. sealant you can find. Yeah. Ooh, candy. Yeah, it's a silicon plate that it's on there. Like, I mean, come on. You could eat your oh, cookies no. or you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could still eat them. But he didn't, yeah. use, he didn't put any peeps in there. Yeah. Yeah, you want to yeah. see yeah. Peep? peeps should have been in there. You're right. So it's a little fun to teach your kids about science or just to screw around because it's hilarious. Hey, teaching it's kids gonna about science. It's going to cost you 30 bucks in an afternoon. Shaving, shaving cream. cream. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, always wear your eyeglasses when you're doing this because that glass jar could yeah. implode. Yeah. And now you can teach your kids about the difference between exploding and imploding. It's, it's fun. Okay. Science. Somebody didn't Ow. delete. What link are you? Was the Josh one in there until just recently? Is this what you picked Probably. this time? Yeah, that's what I okay. picked this time. Alan, what do you got? Uh, so a few weeks back, oh, I, I tried to pick a cable that was supposed to be a Type-A to Type-C cable that went like 5 gigabit, and my pick was a dud. Mm-hmm. We figured it out during the podcast. But it yeah, was, it said oh. USB 2.0 in the title. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I ordered this. It's probably, it looks like they finally found one of these, and it wasn't. So this one I have ordered, received, and tested. Okay. And it does go. It's a full-blown... USB 3.0, like to Type C, Type A to Type C adapter cable. Cool. So if you have any of those, is it really that short? Uh, yeah. Okay. It's like it's only like six inches long. Um, that says it right in the title, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I was looking for a short one because, like, you know, things like the Samsung T3 and other external, like uh, SSD type mm-hmm. things, tend to come with a really long cable, which I think is silly. Like the T1 came with a really short cable. T3 came it should with come like, with both, I would agree. Uh, it should come with both, but some of them yeah. only come with a really long one, which yeah. you got to keep bundled up and you try and travel. Yeah, with and this if thing you're just putting it next to your laptop yeah, yeah, on a table just, or something, it's just yeah, annoying, right? right? So for the longest time, I was looking for just a short, stinking cable that actually went the right speed, and uh, that's one. Eight bucks. Eight bucks. Uh, before we move on to our last picks, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I love the suggestion. Order this item in quantity. Because it weighs very little. Yeah. Well, they are charging you three bucks for shipping on this. It's not a prime yeah. thing. To so. minimize total shipping costs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, quick mention before I miss it. Uh, Richard Johnson became a new pledge on Patreon for five bucks. Thank you, Richard. Oh, I thank you, sir. Uh, who do we have left here on our on our picks? Do we have anybody? Just, uh, uh, it's Ken. Uh, is that Ken with headphones? Uh, no, that was last week. Oh, uh, did I did I miss anybody then? You still had it on here. Your bear dynamics. I, yeah, that was last week. Well, I took Mary. Uh, I took Maury and R- Josh. And you did take Maury and Josh off. Okay, so there you go. Those are our three picks. Okay. <laughs> Ryan and I Deal didn't even hear the podcast last week, so we yeah. didn't know. All right, everybody, that is going to wrap up the show for us for this week. PCPro.com slash podcast is where you can find all the back episodes um, and uh, URLs to subscribe to the podcast in MP3 format or on YouTube or find the video downloads or anything you want to do from there. 
uh, we, we welcome you. And again, pcpro.com slash subscribe if you want to find, sign up for our mailing list when we do live streams for the podcast or any other events. Uh, I know we're planning one with Intel next month uh, on storage side stuff, so you'll want to you'll sign up for that for sure because uh, we'll, we always make people give away if they're going to give away stuff if they're going to do a live stream with us. So that will be worth uh, noting about. So with that, it is very late. We will finish up the show. We'll see you next week. I'm Ryan Schrout. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. And I'm Alan Momentano. Bye. And this has been Masterpiece Theater. If you enjoyed this content, consider supporting in-depth technical content by contributing at patreon.com slash pcper.